0: well hey there everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the change room with rod and leslie as you know in this podcast we like to take big meaty juicy topics and break them down into tiny little bite-sized chunks all in an effort to help ourselves and hopefully some of you through the process of change as you know by now Rod and i love change we're obsessed with it we talk about it all the time at work in our personal lives uh, and so we thought we would share some ideas with all of you about it as well this week's episode, it's going to be really special. We are honouring National Indigenous Peoples History Month. And we have a special guest. This is our only our third time ever that we've have had a special guest join us. So, Rod, I'm going to turn things over to you to do a little bit of an intro.
1: Yeah, hey, thanks very much, Leslie. I We are very honoured to have Paul Haig uh, with us. So, Paul, I know through... The uh, board uh, for MTML, the uh, Metro Toronto Movement for Literacy. Uh, Paul's uh, a, another board member. It seems that this has been a great source for, for guests because our first one, mm-hmm. Amina yeah. Charles, was also is also on the board. So Paul is super interesting, very uh, enjoyable to talk to. I don't know what other kind of complimentary adjectives I can add on to it other than to turn it over to Paul to introduce himself. And, um, and then we'll we'll jump right into the conversation. Paul, over to you. Welcome to our podcast.
2: Okay, thank you, Leslie, and uh, thank you, Rod. Um, bonjour, Annie, hello, everyone. My name is Paul Haig. I do sit on the board of directors at Metropolitan um, Toronto Movement for Literacy. I also work at Toronto Council Fire in the education sector, uh, I'm an instructor. Um, predominantly for developing and delivering literacy programming uh, to our learners. Um, Council FIRE serves the the neighborhood and indigenous community and non-indigenous community as well. We are a uh, indigenous cultural center. Um, We have a number of different um, sectors or areas of focus, but I specifically am, am connected with the education sector I uh, have Métis heritage, English, Irish, a little bit of Cree and French as well. And I um, never really was um, very knowledgeable about my uh, indigenous heritage growing up. Um, It was something that was one of the skeletons in the family's closet. I was always aware of it, um, but it was never really talked about. It was kind of a divisive uh, factor within in the family. So uh, as I, I left home when I was in my late teens, did some traveling, uh, met a person, became friends with someone who was Mohawk and introduced me to his family. I sort of got more back in touch with some indigeneity Did my first sweat, was introduced to smudging, went on a a mini vision quest up to Manitoulin Island. And uh, so that was in my twenties and it kind of lay there for a while. It was always um, an area of interest that I had, but didn't really know much about. So it's been a process for me over the years. I spent um, 15 years or so after coming out of university, working in the film business. And uh, after that, I um, was interested in traveling. And so I thought I'd return to school to get some uh, credentials or um, certification in teaching English as a second language with the intent of traveling throughout Asia, which where I've never been Southeast Asia. And in the process, once I went back, I went back to the U of T and uh, met some uh, Indigenous faculty. And as uh, so those friendships developed, took a few courses in, in Indigenous history and culture. And then I um, was introduced to the Toronto Council fire, did some volunteering there for a few months. And then I was offered a contract uh, position to work with Indigenous youth in a program called the Coyote Program, which essentially was centering on on youth from 16 to 29, trying to get them back into the workforce, bringing up their levels of education and providing them with the essential uh, tools so that they could uh, compete in the uh, labor market. And i kind of been with Council Fire since, and that was in 2014-15, and um, I kind of stayed with Council Fire within the education sector, um, as predominantly as as a teacher, uh, as an instructor, as a coach. I always find I mention this to a number of my learners at the end of the day, I feel guilty somewhat in that. I learn more often. I feel I'm learning more than what I'm imparting on some of the learners. So it's been a very um, enjoyable and and beneficial experience for me. Um, Council Fire offers a number of other opportunities through workshops and bringing in elders, Traditional teachings, so we're always exposed to uh, parts of the culture that um, are really helpful and insightful, and kind of reconnect us back to. I um, guess what for me personally, what 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 is important? I mean, you know, the, the realization that uh, we're all we're all connected, and uh, we're all tied into a community. We're all, all part of a family. Council so Fire, in particular, has become Come, my family, or a section sector of my family. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's uh, I guess my day-to-day work is just helping people, trying to connect with people that have come to Council Fire. It's been cha- obviously challenging the past 15 months or so with COVID. We our programming has been forced to go online electronically. Um, although for the first six months, mm-hmm. what we're doing is preparing learners packages and the learners would come in once a week or come by and we just exchange packages. So once things got locked down, we were no longer able to do that. And so we've tried to get as many people as possible connected to uh, uh, online learning. So mm-hmm. that's, that's been the big effort for the last three to six months.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, Paul, thanks for that. Um, the, uh, Council Fire. Just for, for, for folks in Toronto who might wonder where that is. I, it's, and I always. My kids went to a school not too far from Council Fire when they were very young. They went to a French school called Gabriel Wa, which right. was, we we come down Dundas, and I think you're at Parliament and Dundas in like a light right. blue building.
2: Yeah, if I, big blue building. Huh? Yeah. yeah, we're at the uh south the
1: southwest corner of Parliament and Dundas. Right. Where is the school? And and um oh it's it's Dundas and uh George Street, which is like between Sherburn oh, and Dormar. Yeah, uh, for sure. It's
2: like like a, just down down the street
1: yeah. from <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. So as our kids were, you know, in the in the daycare and then like Kindergarten, we would have to drive by Fillmore's to uh, (laughs) to drop them (laughs) off.
2: And that's been sold. They've sold that, and they're going to turn it into a high-rise condo, another condo in Toronto. So
0: just what we need more of, right, Jens? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) More concrete, please.
2: Yeah, no kidding. Concrete and
0: glass. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So, so Paul, um, the. uh, you you mentioned as you got into kind of more awareness of your indigenous culture, you referred to your first sweat. What is that? Like just to help, remember you're talking to a couple of people who I think were like many who were just starting to learn more about indigenous people's culture. And so very beginners. Yeah, it's a sweat, it's a sweat line.
2: It's part of ceremony, it's part of a ritual. Um, essentially it's, uh, how could I describe that? It's, 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 it's a spiritual experience, right? It's a cleansing experience. It's, it's representative of returning back to the womb. It's a structure that's created similar to a small, I guess, TP or, um, enclosed area, um, with, you know, framework of, of, of tree branches and put blankets and canvas over top. And then you you have a fire inside, or you have a pit with hot rocks. The fire actually is outside and there's a fire keeper that keeps this, the sacred rocks burning. You bring the rocks in to the uh, inside of the, um, to the the actual structure, that, to the tent itself. It's completely dark, it's very hot. You enter, um usually Led or guided by an elder or someone that's um, trained in, in uh, traditional teachings and knowledge. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's a purification process or it's, it's, a, it's a way of, they've made, made, made I it may reference, I've heard described as, re, you know, returning back to the womb and then coming out again. It's kind of a, a form of rebirthing. Um, wow. It's a cleansing too. It gets can get very hot. Can get very can get very claustrophobic. You have to you can't you know, it's like many experiences if if you fight it or struggle with it, it can, you know be a negative or, or difficult, challenging, but if you kind of just go with it, um, it it's difficult to explain because it isn't always necessarily a, like many things like many things in the spiritual realm. It's difficult to uh, categorize, difficult to label, difficult to explain intellectually sometimes. But it uh, it's a very um, it's a very important process. So it's a very important ritual for many, and it's one of those one of the things that was banned or outlawed by the. By the government at one time, all of our ceremonies, all of our our various rituals, uh, or regalia, or powwows uh, um, were were, f- were outlawed, you know, forbidden. So a lot of it went underground, obviously.
0: I was just going to ask that: how did it? How was there an underground element of it, and how did people do that? How did were there were there aspects of of uh, ways you kept that aspect of culture alive, even though the government was trying to stop it.
2: Yeah. It's something I'm really interested in. Um, I don't know a lot about that um, mm. because, of, because of our oral, our oral traditions. A lot of that has been passed on orally. It's not, hasn't been written about. Right. I have had this discussion with Joseph Boyden, the um, actually the, another Métis writer that's had, you know, it was quite controversial a few years ago because people were questioning his true identity too. But He's written some really interesting novels. Uh, he's quite a celebrated, successful novelist. But I spoke with him. I always was fascinated about, I'd like to explore the, the stories that, that I've heard about some of the um, the al- elders or some of the, the adult, the parents that kept or hid their children from Being taken by the Indian agents to uh, residential schools. Mm -hmm. Um, They've taken them and educated them themselves. They went back into the bush. Um, And and I just, I would love to explore that area. I don't know much about it, I know that it has existed. Um, I just watched with some friends last night. We watched a movie. Um, which I first saw back in 89 I think it was one of the first that came out it was called where the Spirit lives I saw it at the Toronto Film Festival and it was about it it was about the residential school experience and kids being you know ripped away from their families at the ages of five six seven all the way up and um, it was it's really held together that was made 32 years ago so it uh, Mm-hmm. And there was some reference a little bit of reference in that movie about uh, families that didn't uh, didn't cooperate i mean you ris- had great risk if you obviously were going to oppose or um, go in opposition to what the, the you know the feds came around or the Indian agents came around to take the children if you you didn't release your children or you hid your children I guess you were you know, um, subject to, to, to great penalties if you are ever caught. So anyway, it's a great, yeah, it's an area I'm sure will be explored in the future with various writers mm-hmm. or filmmakers. Um, and even last night we were saying after the movie, interesting stories would be even of um, Indigenous folks that, you know, survivors that went through the residential school system that they're doing now or how they you know what their lives were like Mm -hmm. after that i mean that's one of the big issues now Or you know people a lot of non-indigenous people don't understand or they're always critical of the condition of many of our communities or you know the classic look at those drunken indians or whatever but if you Mm -hmm. understand what Mm -hmm. intergenerational trauma is and we think of seven generations and families that were decimated as early as 1870 up until 1996. where kids were ripped away from Mm -hmm. their family at the ages of four or five and six years of age for 10 years and released, you know, when they were 16, 17, never having any role models to see how to parent, never having any role models to see how to be an adult um, and having Mm -hmm. all of your own. Cultural heritage and spirituality—you know—ripped from you, or you're penalized for speaking your language, or penalized for practicing any of your your beliefs. So um, it explains a lot, and, it, and that's what the TRC was all about—the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That was an effort to um, deal with how the government could. I guess to correct some of the, the mistakes in the past with regard to dealing with indigenous communities and, and, and the repercussions of, of residential school. And they made, mm-hmm. in the TRC, they made 94 recommendations, calls to action. And uh, so far, I was just checking actually earlier this morning that um, out of the 94 only uh, Twelve have been completed. Twenty-four have uh, mm. are are being developed or in in uh, in progress. Twenty have not have not been started at all, and thirty-eight have been proposed, but no action has been taken upon them. And I mm. highly recommend, just for your own edification, to go to look to read those ninety-four um, calls to action. Yeah.
0: We'll link to it in, yeah. our, in our show notes, Paul, and I yeah. will definitely be reading that. It, it's yeah. I, uh, yeah, you go, Rod, you go. Well, because the whole idea well, of the TRC it was a
2: mandate to inform all Canadians right, about the true history of residential schools, and they traveled uh, it was originally, I think you've probably heard or seen um, Justice Minister Murray Sinclair was also a senator and a judge he he led it and uh, so they traveled the country from 2008 to 2015 interviewing a number of survivors and you know making notes and coming up with the final uh, report so yeah it's broken down into a number of areas education child welfare um you know, compensation um, various suggestions as to how, you know, how how residential schools should be remembered. That's also very uh, divisive amongst the community. Some survivors would think that they should all be abolished. Others suggest that perhaps they should be turned into, you know, museums or historic properties, just as a reminder of what did exist. So, yeah, that's...
1: Uh, yeah, it's, I would, well, I just add to, um, I, I looked at it the other day because you'd mentioned it to me. And uh, in addition to the recommendations, the other thing, and this just shows how in our, when I say our, like my, like, Anglo upbringing education, this never talked about, because it also provides a history of the different legislation, like government Edicts or whatever they were called, different treaties, and I'd know I mean, I'd heard of the Indian Act, but I had no idea about all these other things that were were done over time over the last two hundred years.
2: Yeah, there's uh, a, lot of, and, uh, a lot of history that's been yeah. denied, right?
1: Yes, yeah.
2: but that's true everywhere. That's I mean, traditionally, history is written by the winners. Um, mm-hmm. There's always there's a, a completely different narrative there's always the other side of the story and then somewhere in between is probably the truth Um, Mm -hmm. i think we're seeing more i mean howard zinn was a famous american historian professor writer um playwright that um he i think his famous one of his famous books or something the the people's history of 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 the united states where he dealt with Mm -hmm other narratives he dealt with the black population he dealt with indigenous populations he dealt with labor labor movements and workers um so -hmm. it's just you know telling telling the other side of history or different different aspects of history and it's something that's certainly been avoided or neglected and probably suppressed within mainstream or colonial schooling systems um i know even myself going through that system and 60s and 70s, um, you know, it was never, never discussed, never talked about,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and understandably so, from the point of view of what the whole idea, of, the whole concept of us, you know, what the government was up to with regard to assimilation and attempting to um, even as late as 69 with Pierre Trudeau and his government with uh, Jean Chrétien and they produced something called the white paper which was also an attempt to get rid of the Indian Act completely, and just another level of assimilation, trying to uh, you know, make everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's the irony too, because that also was at the time of Trudeau's famous multicultural bilingualism. We right? mm-hmm. were pushing French oh, right. as a bicultural by bi, you know uh, another language, but yet um, he was trying to eradicate anything indigenous. Make it part of the uh, mainstream mm-hmm. society. Mm-hmm. So yeah, history is important. No. Uh, we're seeing changes though. There's a lot of changes, on, and I and I have had um, some of the school boards have been reaching out even the last few years. You know, I'd say within the last I mean, five to ten years, more interest is being expressed as far as uh, learning more about. Uh, our history and culture. In fact, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I read them, but one of the calls to action was precisely that under the subject of education that um, there was, you know, specific mention or, or program or curriculum development in regards to teaching the history of the true history of, of, of this country or North America or Turtle Island and what role Indigenous people that have played I mean we've been here for 20,000 years so you know we've had mm. should have had some impact on our yeah. evolution as a country.
1: Oh yeah now Paul have you seen with the um, just the intergenerational trauma the the you know the population that you work with at Council Fire on the literacy programs uh, do you see when you know, people are coming to you to, to improve their literacy? Like, are they, are they there because of their own personal growth and motivation, or is it, is it very practical? Like, is it for just employment outcomes or what? Yeah,
2: it's different. I mean, Council Fire is very unique in many ways in that it is a cultural center, um, but also it's not just indigenous learners that come. I mean, we're open to the community of Regent Park and Moss Park and the surrounding areas, um, but a lot of many of our Indigenous learners come because I think of, it's the social the social factor the cultural factor. Mm-hmm. Um, even some the lessons that, the curriculum that I develop and deliver I always try to incorporate um, Indigenous stories. Um, you know. Uh, and show indigenous films, and we have discussions, and talk about history. We talk about treaties. We talk about um, you know various teachings, the, um, Wampum teachings, various laws that have have been neglected, or some of the original agreements that were made between indigenous nations and and. British government, and then the Canadian government that have never been honored. Um, but we've learned from them. I mean, some of the teachings, just something called the Silver Covenant Chain. It's con- it was a, an agreement that was even made amongst our own nations, the Haudenosaunee and um, the uh, Anishinaabe. And basically, it was about making reference to a silver, a silver chain, having, having three links, uh, one representing peace, respect, and trust, and the importance it's because of the silver, made of silver, it has to be constantly polished, otherwise it tarnishes. And it's kind of symbolic in, in um, any kind of relationship or agreement between two nations or two organizations that, you know, you have to constantly attend to that, or maintain that, uh, if it's going to, if it's going to continue to exist or be healthy. Um, there was also another treaty amongst the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe called the Dish with One Spoon. It had three, you know, the concept of a dish with one spoon, but also the idea of sharing with three basic rules. One is that you don't take any, anything more than what you need, you leave some for others. And you keep your space and your environment clean, you care, you know, like you're a, a caregiver or caretaker of the land in your territory. So, things like that we talk about, and you know, things like that I think would be really important to share with non indigenous people, particularly in light of what's going on in our, our environment globally and how you know, so much of that is being harmed and decimated. Um, so yeah, so there's with regard to what we try to do in the education sector there's, there's the education component, but you know I think you and I have talked about this, Rob. It's that distinction too between education and training, which is something that the government now seems to be leaning towards more of focus on training with the whole idea of employability. Um, mm-hmm. and at the cost of actual um, educating or you know becoming more literate. I mean that's a whole conversation in and of itself. What do we mean by being you know literate? What is literacy? It's, it's, it's way more than just the ability to read and write. Um, it's the ability, I think, to to analyze, to crit- you know critique, to be able to implement or develop your skills so that you can interact with your with the society at large and your community specifically. So. So the learners—it's—it's mm-hmm. a, it's a wide selection of of people coming. A lot of people come for specifically to try to get upgrading, to continue with their education post-secondary. Some just want to get their high school out of the way, um, get a job, you know, and just become contributing members of society, like many of us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's no one specific focus. Um, I mean, our, our program is funded by the ministry as. LBS, which is literacy and basic skills, as I believe that many other of the uh, providers that MTML is associated with, they're doing similar similar work in their communities. Um, but it's interesting too, right, the whole changing of, of ministries. I mean, initially we were under the umbrella of MT, was it was an MTC, the ministry, of Training, yeah. the ministry of Colleges and Universities, and now it's the Ministry of training and skills development so Mm. things are changing and i think with the conservative government everything's kind of been put on hold with covid but i believe Mm. that uh, we're going to be dealing with some some changes the next well next year so anyway that will affect literacy that will affect uh, some of the work that we're we're trying to do yeah
0: as as someone paul who um is a city dweller so i you know i live very close actually uh to where you work i wonder if there's i wonder if you have words of wisdom for what i can do as a city person to honor the earth more and not just you know and and through that honor indigenous peoples and culture and heritage as well but to me so much of that goes back to honoring mother earth and so um, we always like to on this podcast we like to sort of end with a little bit of a here's stuff that you can do here are things that you know you can put into action that you can try and so I wondered if you had any counsel
2: (laughs) Yeah, common sense. I mean, I think. It's really,
0: <laughs> a, yep, yep, I think
2: it's. I think it's really important. I think what you're, what you're um, asking and, and considering it's something that we all. Sh- it's awareness, right? It's become. Mm. It's something like someone like David Suzuki, for example. He's been beating the drum for forty some, uh, probably fifty years now. I remember seeing him back, lecturing back in the '70s. About, you know, just awareness to Mother Earth and awareness to your environment, connection with animals, respect for, your, you know, um, life forces. You know, and it, it's even incorporated into the golden rule of, you know, doing unto others, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, mm-hmm. treating treating the land with respect um, treating all living things with respect and understanding and appreciating how we're all interconnected, that we're all really one, we all vibrate on similar frequencies and that um, our, our survival you know, is going to be dependent on that, the, the, the feeding or the, the, the encouraging of, of those connections. I mean, it breaks my heart. As I'm sure you've all experienced, this. when you do go, I was just out for a run yesterday morning in the back trails, and just see the garbage that's been just yeah. litter and plastics and beer cans, and it's crazy. You know, It's crazy. So yeah, I just I think as far as uh, like I say, kind of tongue in cheek, common sense, but really just take take a moment and you know think of what you can do to um, to to nurture, to nurture, or to incur—I mean, that's what's one thing too with COVID. It's kind of interesting to see how some things have, how nature has has come back in many respects. You know, I have hear stories, don't know how true they are, but that fish are back now swimming in the canals in Venice and various, uh, you know, um, light like wildlife is, is starting to come back more now because of the lack less less pollution, less air pollution, fewer mm. jets flying, fewer you know diesel fuel that being burnt um, so that and nature will if left alone will resurrect itself will come back on its own but yeah we I, well that's another discussion, but I think there's really we've got to start considering alternative economic paradigms and you know how we distribute wealth and what we do in order to obtain that wealth with regard how we, you know, as Suzuki has said for decades now, we have limited resources and our economic paradigm is structured or set up with the idea that it's unlimited, we have unlimited resources, but we don't, we have finite resources, and even just going back to indigenous Teachings and though I mean, some of our elders way back, you know, were appalled at the thought of being able to own land mm. or water or air, for that matter. And you look now. I mean, corporate corporations are 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 monop- trying to monopolize even in the distribution and selling of water to African nations. And soon, going to be air, I guess, is next, right? or somebody's going to try to figure out a way of making money on how we can commodify and distribute and sell air and then and then there's the whole idea of land and you know, real estate and, and look at the wealth that's been accumulated from that um, and that gets into whole other issues with broken treaties and promises that were made 150 200 years ago between indigenous leaders and, and governments and have never have never been honored so. And it's all about land. It really is all about the land and our connection to the land. You mentioned Leslie about getting out of the city.
0: Mm. Um,
2: you know how how we all change when we get come out of the city and, and we we'll, we'll sit by water, or you just walk through the through the woods, or you hear the birds, or you see animals. You see a see a deer, you see a bear. It's a whole other. It's a whole other mentality it's a whole other vibration so when you consider that you know a couple hundred years ago living in those types of environments how how it must have uh, influenced all of us you know as far as learning from the animals connecting to the animals respecting the animals even now when you go out to hunt you always give thanks or acknowledge the sacrifices that the animal made is made to provide food for your family or hides for your for clothing or whatever so it's yeah it's it's connection it's interconnection Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: that's
2: pretty easy right you know it is it really it's the other thing it's just about like i say common sense and what we all know that's the thing we all know indeed what is right, you know? You know, even as kids, we knew right, what, right from wrong, good from bad. But somehow we've gotten off the track, or many of us have gotten off the track, or our culture is, you know, sort of influences us. It doesn't, it doesn't encourage or to promote sensibilities, and that's, I think, what has to change. I mean, that's keep right. going back to Suzuki, but that's something he's talked about for decades about the need to reassess what our values are and what is important in life and how we can take care of others. It just, it's a, when you think about it, it's appalling, you know, it's it's appalling that there's such wealth in this world, that there are so many people that are homeless and hungry. even in our own city now, if you travel around, you see the number of people that are living in tents or, living in shelters. And it's just, you know, how does, how does that happen? And why does that
0: happen? Well, honestly, this has been such a, an enlightening and wonderful conversation today. I'm so grateful uh, that you joined us and told your stories. I, we, we try and tell stories on this podcast all the time of our own experiences, but I feel really, uh, very lucky, blessed, I don't know what the right word is, honored maybe to just being able to listen to you today. And uh, I I also feel inspired to go and do some extra reading that um, I've sort of read, you know, you, I've read articles about all of these things, but never gone to the actual source documents. And that I think is my, um, my personal call to action from this, is going to source documents and uh, and really getting that deeper understanding that comes from that. So thank you,
2: and thank you welcome. so much. My pleasure. But I also just a reminder: just don't stay within the books or the reading material. Get you know, it's putting those words into practice too. I think. Yes, and,
0: yes, and, and I agree. And, I think ally is a verb.
2: Yeah, we use true. it as a
0: noun, but really, ally is a verb. And unless we use it as a verb, we're uh, we're never going to make progress.
2: Yeah, alliances are really important, I mean, particularly yeah. within our community. It's really important to have um, alliances with non-Indigenous people or you know the settler community. But and even now, you know, more and more, that's it's something since the thing in Kamloops with the two hundred and fifteen. Mm. I mean more and more Mm -hmm. people are reaching out and curious and asking why and what what's that all about and so yeah I I really just encourage you to not get too hung up on the theory or that you know you can it's good to do homework and read but I think it's really important to get out and you know go to a powwow or come to some tutorials or Mm -hmm. workshops once we open up and listen to elders and ask you know meet meet people in person exchange ideas develop dialogues Um, stop and talk. You see an Indigenous person, even on the street, if they're, you know, panhandling, approach them as a person, right? Reach out and connect. So that's really important.
0: Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm
2: -hmm. Thank you very much, Paul. Yeah, thank you guys. It's uh, just, um, it's my honor to be, have the opportunity to share a few words and to learn from you as well. And, hopefully some words that we've discussed or words that we've said that will resonate with others and lead to actions. You know, it's, an, it's a process, right? It's its, it's ongoing. Yeah, I am encouraged. I see really a lot of good things happening within our communities uh, as far as education, as far as the arts, as far as, you know, as filmmakers, as dancers, musicians, as scholars, doctors, engineers, architects. So, yeah, it's, it's good. There's a
1: lot of good things happening. Great. Well, Thank thanks you. again. And with yeah. with that, we'll wrap up. So okay, guys. Thanks, everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks,
0: everyone, so much. And thanks to everyone thanks for all. listening to our episode. Okay. okay. See you right. right. Bye. Bye-bye.